Good morning, Coastal Church. Happy New Year. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be with you guys this morning. I love it when uh, the first of the year falls on a Sunday, because what better place is there for us to be to start this new year than gathered together with our church family, worshiping the Lord, and doing it through song, doing it through the preaching of His Word. And so it really is a blessing to be here, and I'm, I'm super excited uh, for our sermon this morning. Now, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open up to Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. That is the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. It's a short passage, but it's a powerful one. And I think the Lord has something really powerful for us this morning. And so as we open his word, let's just submit ourselves to him and be ready. Open our ears to hear what he has for us this morning. Uh, As you do that, I'd like to remind you of a couple things we have going on this first week of the new year. First, we have spiritual formation classes beginning this week at the Hampton campus. There's a very special class There's a very special class happening at this campus, and that is a class on how to study your Bible starting this Wednesday, January 4th at 6.30. And if you have any doubts or if you just would like to learn more about how to study your Bible um, even further and even deeper, uh, then please see Sean Cooper. She will be leading that class, and it will be a really awesome time of learning how to dive into God's Word. Uh, All of our spiritual formation classes are designed to help you grow in intimacy with God, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. And so if you're interested in that class or you'd like to look at the other classes that we have offered, you can pick up a Grow booklet. They're one of our green booklets that are out in the foyer, and you can look at the entire listing of classes that we have starting this week. And then secondly, I would like to announce that Coastal College is starting up for the first time here at the Hampton campus this Tuesday. So January 3rd, this Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., uh, Pastor Marcus will be leading our college Bible study. And so if you are a college student or you know of any college students in the area who could use a good, strong, solid, faithful, biblical community uh, to help support them during this difficult season of their life, then please come on out or invite them to come out this Tuesday at 6.30 here in this building. And Pastor Marcus will be leading that time. Uh, Now, for those who do not know me, my name is Christian Conway, and I'm the Assistant Director of Children and Youth at our Yorktown campus. Now, I know that that's a lot of words, it's a big, big jumbly mess, but like Pastor Marcus said at the beginning, really what I do is I lead our fourth and fifth grade ministry at the Yorktown campus, and it is such a blessing to me to see those young kids worshiping the Lord, to see how excited they get to sing praises to his name, and how excited they get when they get to read God's word and learn new things or, or read stories they've already read before, but see new things in those stories. And so I'm excited for us to do the same thing this morning, to look into this passage, which may be familiar for some, or for some, it may be your first time looking at Romans chapter 13. Uh, but we will be reading Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 this morning. Now, I I know I'm not alone when I say this, that Coastal Church has played a really important role in my life. I know that almost everybody, if not everybody in this room, could say the same thing, that Coastal Church has played an important role in their life. But I have been especially blessed because when I was born, my parents were attending Bay Rivers Baptist Church under Pastor Sean Brown. And Pastor Sean did my baby dedication, Uh, he baptized my dad, and then my family moved away. And we followed the Navy across continents and across oceans, and we found ourselves back here. You see, every step of the way, God was preparing me because he brought me back to the same church where my story began. 
And so it's been so cool to see how Coastal Church has grown from just a few dozen families meeting in a small building to now being spread across four campuses, each campus having 70 to 100 or even more people meeting and worshiping the Lord and glorifying his name. Just to see God's grace in our church has been such a blessing, and I I hope that you have been as blessed by it as I have. And I'm excited to continue that story this morning. The first sermon in 2023, uh, when Pastor David reached out to me and asked me to preach here this morning, I was really excited. And I started thinking, okay, if I'm going to preach, what should I preach on? Because the, the first sermon of the year is a standalone sermon. And so I get to choose what I preach on. And I was praying that the Lord would lead me in the right direction, show me the passage that he wanted me to preach on. And I started to think, if Jesus were here, what message would he want this congregation to hear? And there's, there's a million and a half messages that Jesus could preach if he were here. But I looked through his ministry, and the same theme kept coming up again and again and again. And that was the theme of love. And so this morning, I know that I have fallen into the trap before of going to church and listening to everything that the, the pastor or the preacher had to say and writing it down, taking great notes and, and reading the passage and being blessed by what he was saying. But then I go to lunch and... After lunch, if you had asked me what the pastor said or what the main point of the text was, I wouldn't have been able to tell you because every time we go to church, there's some new message waiting for us. It's, it's uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or it's cast your burdens onto Christ, or it's whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, think on these things. And there's so many things coming at us a million miles an hour, and it's all good. It's all great, in fact. But this morning, I wanted to simplify things. Because in this passage, something special happens. The Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, actually simplifies all of God's commands and all of God's words down to one. He, he simplifies all of the, the words in Scripture down to one word. And that word is love. And so I hope for this message to be extremely simple for us this morning. Not, not simple in content, but simple in theme. And so we're going to be studying the idea of love this morning. And before we get to it, I would like to start by giving you the main point of this text. You can write this down at the top of your notes. I would like you to, to have this written down so that as we go, you can be looking for this main theme. And this is what I believe the Apostle Paul, the point I believe he's trying to make in this text is this. Because of Christ's perfect love for us, we owe love to one another. Let me say that one more time. Because of Christ's perfect love for us, we owe love to one another. And so as we dive into Romans 13 this morning, I'd like to provide you a little bit of context of this letter where we find ourselves and what the Apostle Paul was doing with this letter to help us understand better how this fits in to the text around it. So the book of Romans is a letter. It's the closest thing to a statement of faith that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. He was writing this letter to a church in Rome that he had never met, He'd never been to Rome when he wrote this letter, but he was writing this letter to try to ask them, plea with them, try to convince them to help fund his missionary journey. He hoped to go west to Spain. So he was writing this letter, and as he did it, it was kind of a twofold, twofold goal that he had when he wrote this letter. The first goal was to present the Roman church with his beliefs and his doctrine to help them familiarize themselves with who he is and what he believes. Because if you're going to support somebody financially, then you would like to know what they believe and make sure that it, it aligns with what you believe. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul was accomplishing a different goal. 
He's a pastor at heart, and so one thing that he was doing as he wrote this was making sure that everything the Roman church believed was according to, to God's truth and according to the gospel of Christ. And so he was simultaneously telling them what he believed, but also correcting any lies or any heresies that had snuck into their belief system. And he split up this letter into four sections. Uh, the first section is chapters one through three, excuse me, one through four. And in this section, he just very simply laid out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second section is chapters five through eight, and in that section, he was talking about that gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was talking about the benefits that it has in the Christian's life. So once he explained the gospel, then he gave them the benefits. The third section of the book is chapters 9 through 11, where he talked about this gospel and related it to the country, the people of Israel. He talked about how Israel fit into God's plan for the gospel. And then he finished with the final section, chapter 12 to the end of the book, where he talked about the practical applications that the gospel has in our lives every day. And so if you're following, that is the section that we find ourselves in this morning in Romans 13. It falls in this practical application section of the book. And so this morning, we're going to learn how the gospel intersects with our lives, how this, this gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'll unpack in one minute, is is not something, some abstract idea that we should just think about often. It's not just something that we should tell other people about, but it's a truth that should actually impact the way that we live our lives as Christians in the world when he was writing this letter, but also as Christians in the world today. So if you join me, uh, I'm going to read our passage this morning, Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8, reading through verse 10. So follow along in your Bible as I read. This is what the Lord says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the Apostle Paul tells us, three very important things about love. And I hope to unpack those for you this morning. How love intersects with our lives and how love connects to all of the commands and all of the laws that God has given us in his word. So for us to understand this passage, it's important for us to know how he began chapter 13. Chapter 13, the first seven verses talk about how a Christian should interact with his or her government. Paul gives them the command to submit to government authorities. And then he finishes in verse 7 by talking about any debts you may owe to the people around you. In Romans 13, verse 7, he says this, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So he's talking about all of these debts that we may have in our lives. Revenue or taxes, maybe honor to somebody else, respect and he's telling us to make sure that we diligently pay off any debts that we may have, according to the contract that we signed, to make sure that there are no unfulfilled debts in our life that we are not paying any mind to. Because he wants Christians, in the beginning of verse 8, to owe no one, or excuse me, to owe no one anything. Except for one thing. There's one outstanding debt that the Apostle Paul wants us to always have outstanding in our life, something that we will never be able to pay off, though we try every single day. And that 
is the debt to love each other. The Apostle Paul knows that we are never going to be able to love everybody around us as we ought because we have this high calling that comes from Jesus Christ to love other people as he has loved us. And we're going to get into that in just a minute about how he loved us, which is a very high standard. Now, this brings us to our first point, that love fulfills the law. Let me say it one more time. Love fulfills the law. This is the first point that the Apostle Paul is making in verse 8. Now, anybody who's been in debt before knows how much of a burden it can be. It, it often feels like a ticking time bomb until the next payment is due, until you might be late on your payments, and then you have to rack up the interest, and you have to pay the interest, and it just it snowballs and snowballs. This is what the Israelites were feeling 3,000 years ago. You see, God had given them 613 laws that they had to follow to a T. And every time they broke one of those laws, they had a, a series of sacrifices, a series of prayers of repentance that they had to pay in order to, to pay back the debt and earn God's forgiveness. It was, it was such a weight on their shoulders because they lived their life trying not to do anything wrong. And then as soon as they did, they knew that they had another debt that they had to pay to God. It was, it was unbearable. They had sin in their lives, and this sin put them in debt to God. Well, you see, that, that burden that they had that could never be taken off of their shoulders, it's the same burden that you and I have in our lives. We are sinners in need of a Savior because we have wronged an eternal God. And wronging an eternal God gives us an eternal punishment. And I don't know about you, but I'm not an eternal being. And so I'm incapable of paying off an eternal punishment. But praise God, because he came down in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ, to pay off that debt that I have and to pay off that debt that you have in your life. He sent Jesus Christ. He came as Jesus Christ, God in the form of man, and lived the perfect life that you and I were not able to live. He lived that life. And even though the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and we deserve death because we are sinners. And Jesus Christ was the only person to ever live without sin. And that makes him the only person who ever lived and did not deserve death. Even though all of that is true, Jesus chose to die. He chose to die for you. And he chose to die for me because he knew that was the only way that our eternal penalty for sin could be satisfied. The only way that debt could be paid off or the only way that debt could be fulfilled. And so he died on the cross and three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he was proving that he's more powerful than sin and he was proving that he's more powerful than death. And then he gave us three instructions on what we have to do to accept that gift. So if you are here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I I urge you, I ask you, please, please, please consider doing that today. Because if you die and stand before God on judgment day without having your sins paid for, then you'll have to pay the penalty on your own. Jesus' sacrifice only covers those who do these three things. The first one is repent of your sins. Repentance is this big Bible word, but I like to explain it to the kids in a very simple manner. The word repentance means to turn around. And so I imagine that God and sin are on two opposite ends of the spectrum, and every one of us is born chasing sin. We're walking in sin. We're doing things that satisfy us. We're being greedy and selfish and putting our own interests above everybody else's, so we're walking in sin. 
Well, to repent means to turn around. Instead of walking towards sin, to start pursuing God in the lives that we live. And that doesn't mean that every, every action you take is going to be perfect and you're never going to sin again. No, what it means is that you're pursuing God. And, and when you fall, when you have those moments where you, you didn't do the thing that was honoring to God, you stand back up and you continue going this way. You continue pursuing God in your life. So that's the first thing that Jesus commands us to do is to repent. The second thing he commands us to do is to have faith, to put our faith in him and believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did, that he is the son of God who came down in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again on the third day. And once we've repented and believed, it's more than just an intellectual belief. It's not just thinking that Jesus was a real person and thinking that Jesus was, was pretty important, but it's receiving him into your life. That's the third thing. We must repent, believe, and then receive Christ into our life. He must become a, a part of us. He must make his home in our heart, and we must live our lives to serve him. He must define everything that we do. And so, do you see what happened here? We owed a debt, but Christ paid off that debt for us. But Christ doesn't just pay off the debt and then leave. He doesn't just take that weight off of our shoulders and then leave. No, he stays with us. And when he stays with us, he gives us another command. He puts another weight, a much lighter weight on our shoulders. And this is the weight, the call to love one another. And we're going to look at this love in this message today. I think this text it describes it beautifully and how love, if we love one another, that should be the greatest of our concerns because loving one another will lead to obeying all of God's, all the rest of his commandments. Now, Jesus paid our debt and then transferred another debt to us. It's because of what Jesus has done for us that we owe love to one another. And this is a, a transfer of debt that we see still in our lives today. I remember thinking, thinking back on my childhood um, there was a man known to me and my siblings as Grandpa Bob. Grandpa Bob had played an, an amazingly pivotal uh, role in my parents' lives. When they were young and newly married and new in their faith, he played an amazing role in their life by guiding them in their marriage and guiding them in their faith. You see, they both worked in the Navy and they worked rotating shifts and their rotating shifts were not aligned with each other. So they, they barely got to see each other. Every now and then there would be a day where both of their shifts aligned and they were able to have the day off together. Grandpa Bob knew that this was extremely tiring and extremely taxing for them. And so what he did was anytime they had a day like that, he took them out to go make sure that they could have a good day of rest. They lived in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. So sometimes he would take them out to Myrtle Beach. Sometimes instead of taking them to Myrtle Beach, he would take them along with him as he went to go serve the poor and needy in the community. There was a, a, a local orphanage that he worked with that helped underserved kids. And he would go serve at the orphanage and take my parents along with him to help make sure that they didn't have to think about work. They didn't have to think about making meals. They didn't have to think about any of this. But what they could do was just think about serving those around them and loving those around them. And every time Grandpa Bob was hanging out with my parents and taking them along with him, he would talk about the things of the Lord. Grandpa Bob was a walking, talking example of the love of Christ. And so because of all these, these things that Grandpa Bob did to help my parents grow in their faith, they would have followed him to the ends of the earth. Every time we moved from city to city, from country to country, he was the one who was always visiting us. He would always come and, and check on us and make sure that my parents were continuing to walk in the ways of the Lord. 
And so my, my siblings and I have amazing memories of Grandpa Bob and all the things that he did for our family. And we moved to, uh, we moved to San Diego, California. And when we moved there, we were in this newer neighborhood, but all the houses were very close together. We could, we could almost reach out and touch our neighbor's house from where we lived. And we had one particular neighbor behind us who loved to throw parties and loved to throw parties, especially late at night. And because of how close the houses were, we could always hear the party that they were throwing. So one particular, uh, one particular year on Christmas Day, Grandpa Bob came to visit. And we did all the, the festivities. We opened presents. We had our cinnamon rolls. We ate Christmas dinner. And it was time to go to bed. We, had, uh, we were young children, and my parents just wanted to, to get to rest early, and Grandpa Bob was with us. So we started to lay down to sleep around 9 or 10 p.m., and that was when the party started. And so we laid our heads down on the pillow, and we were ready to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, we heard the music turn up. And all night, without fail, they were partying. We heard the music. We heard the celebrations. We heard the drinking. They took one quick pause to sing happy birthday to Jesus, but other than that, they were singing all night long. And so my mom woke up in the morning, and she was tired and disheveled and didn't know what to do because... She just could not stand this any longer. So she started talking to Grandpa Bob about it because he had been with us, and so he heard all the, the noise and the music, and she was like, what should I do? How can I make sure that my kids get good sleep when, when these people are partying behind us? And Grandpa Bob looked at her and gave her one shocking and simple instruction. He said, I think you should bake them a pie. And my mom was like, you obviously don't understand the situation. I'm not going to bake them a pie for keeping me up all night. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I should do something different. I should go tell them to be quiet or call the cops on them or something to make sure that they're not keeping me up all night. And Grandpa Bob said, no, I think you should bake them a pie. So he, a few days later, took off on his plane, and my mom was thinking about this for months and months, and, and she was hesitant to go deliver them a pie, but finally she remembered what Grandpa Bob had done for her. She remembered that every action she'd seen Grandpa Bob take in his life was for serving the Lord. It was glorifying to God, and so if he was recommending this, this must be the best course of action. So she finally made a pie. She went and rung on the doorbell, gave them the pie, and then we left. And the parties continued. But she knew that she had loved her neighbor even in the face of controversy and difficulty. But think about this. She didn't love them and bake them the pie because of anything that they had done for her. She loved them and baked them a pie because of what Grandpa Bob had done for her in the past. In the same way, we ought to love our neighbors, not because of anything our neighbors are doing for us, but because of what Christ has already done for us. And so that is our first point, that love fulfills the law. It's through love that Christ paid off our debt, and through love that we can pay that forward to others. Which brings us to our second point, which we see in verse 9. Verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this brings us to our second point, which is love summarizes the law. So first we had love fulfills the law, and now we have love summarizes the law. And you might be thinking, okay, love summarizes the law. Okay, explain this to me. Well, in this verse, we have some very familiar commandments. And Paul listed them because he knew that they would be familiar to the people he was writing to. These commandments that he gave, don't commit adultery, don't, uh, excuse me, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet, and do not murder. These are four of the Ten Commandments. Specifically, the 
fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth commandment. Excuse me, the sixth, seventh, eighth, and tenth commandment. I don't know where that came from. Sixth, seventh, eighth, and tenth commandments. And then he did something special, something familiar to us. He summarized these commandments with a different one. This, this commandment that he used to summarize them is found in Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It should be familiar to us because another man that we look up to in the faith, another man who actually appears in the pages of Scripture, used this same commandment to summarize the law. And that's Jesus. When Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, the Sadducees came to him and they were trying to trick him. And so they asked him, they said, Jesus, Jesus, uh, tell us, <clears throat> what is the greatest commandment in the law? They wanted to, to make him fall into the trap of saying one of God's commandments was more important than another. But they didn't know how prepared Jesus was to answer that question. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus responded. He said, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this to the Romans, he used this specific commandment, this specific reference to Leviticus 19.18 for two reasons. The first reason is to bring up this teaching of Jesus. The Romans probably would have been familiar with it because it's, it's a big deal when God comes and tells you all of his law is summarized in two. And so the Romans would have been familiar with Jesus' teaching, but I think the Apostle Paul used this verse for another reason as well. Because if you go back and read Leviticus 19.18, which you don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you, there's something that's very similar to what he said in verse 8 of our passage this morning. So listen as I read Leviticus 19.18 and see if you can find something, some similarity between that verse and the verse we just read, Romans 13.8. In Leviticus 19.18, God says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, this verse starts with something that they should not owe to each other, a grudge, revenge, and turns to the fact that they ought to love one another. You should not owe this to your neighbor. Instead, you should love one another. Well, what does he say in verse 8? Owe no one anything except to love each other. So the Apostle Paul again and again is reminding these people that nothing, nothing positive nor negative, no honor, no grudge, nothing should remain unpaid in their life. They shouldn't seek to give grudges or give, give revenge to those around them. Instead, they ought to focus on loving one another. And so the Apostle Paul is using this reference, which they probably would have known from Leviticus 19.18, and using this connection with Jesus' teaching to teach the Romans and show the Romans how they ought to live, loving one another. Because love summarizes the law. Paul told, it, told us himself that those four commandments are all summarized in the commandment to love your neighbor. And I hope you have your seatbelts on. I hope you're ready because this is where the rubber is about to meet the road. This is where we're about to see what God has for us and how we can take all these truths that we learned and apply them to our lives. Everybody from, from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person is gonna be able to leave with some practical application for how we can love our neighbor from this last verse, verse 10. So verse 10 says this, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, this ties the second and third point that Paul's making, it ties them together so beautifully. It tells us that if we love our neighbor, we're not gonna do anything wrong to them. 
And so it summarizes all of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments tell us what not to do. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. But instead of telling us what not to do, this new commandment that he gives us, it tells us what we ought to do. And so instead of having to focus on those things, he tells us a new, a greater, a higher command. And so this brings us to Paul's third point this morning. Love transcends the law. Love transcends the law. So first we had love fulfills the law. Then we had love summarizes the law. And finally, we're learning that love actually transcends the law. And what do I mean by this? Love transcends the law. Well, remember, the call to love our neighbor is the highest call that God could ever give to us. It's the highest call because, like I mentioned, it's not giving us a list of all the things we shouldn't do, but it's telling us one thing that we should do. And if we do that one thing, then we are naturally going to do all of the other things. You see, I don't know about you guys, but in my life, I can't remember a time that I was loving my neighbor, but also stealing from them. I can't remember a time when I was loving my neighbor, but also wanting to murder them in my heart. I can't tell you a time when I was loving my neighbor, but looking at everything they had in their life and saying, I wish that was mine. Because if we are perfectly loving our neighbor, which is very hard to do, but if we're able to do it, then we don't have to worry about all the other commandments because love has those baked into it. Love is this greater, this higher, more demanding call than all of the rest of the calls we receive in Scripture. And I think a good godly parent-child relationship is a great example of this. Because as I was growing up, I would willingly put myself in many situations where my life was in the hands of my parents. And not once did I worry, okay, is this person, my mom or my dad, going to turn on me and like do something to harm me? No, I knew that in every action my parents took, they had my interests in mind. And so every time they, they were driving on the freeway or every time they took me to a theme park, every time they, they took me somewhere new, I could trust that it was going to be safe. And if it wasn't, my parents would do everything they could to try to, try to take away the danger. Because in every action they took, they had my interests in mind. They were always thinking about me before they were thinking about themselves. Okay, well, let's turn the situation around. What if that were true about us loving the people around us? What if the love that you have for your neighbor mirrors the love that a godly mother or a godly father has for their kid? What if in every action you took, you were looking out for his or her interest instead of your own? Well, you see, that does something special. In a world where we're all looking out for our own interests, in this entire room, there would be one person looking out for your interests, and that would be you. And the person next to you would be looking out for their interests, and the person on on your other side would be looking out for their interests, But if everybody in this room was instead looking out for the interests of others, then rather than having one person looking out for your interests, you now have 60 people looking out for your interests. And the person next to you, even though they're not looking out for their interests, they have 60 people looking out for their interests. And the person next to you, on the other side, they have 60 people. Every one of us would have 60 people looking out for our interests just because we're willing to love our neighbors. That's that's some God math for you if I've ever heard God math. So in order to follow, excuse me, in order to follow Christ's example of loving our neighbors, Paul made sure before he got to this section in Romans, he made sure to lay out what godly love looks like. And so you might have to flip back a page or it might be on the same page, but we're going to jump back to Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 9 through 13. In this section, the apostle Paul is laying out what love looks like. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13 say this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, 
hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And so very quickly, as we close this morning's message, there's four practical applications for us to take from the message for how we can love our neighbor every day. And these come from Paul's, uh, Paul's description of love here in Romans chapter 12. So first, and most importantly, we must love evil. And, or excuse me, love good. <laughs> Let's cut that part out of the recording. We must love what is good and hate what is evil. Because if we don't know the difference between love or good and wrong, if we don't know the, the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, then how can we lead our neighbor in that same pursuit? So in order to love our neighbor rightly and to help push them in the correct direction, we must hate evil and love good. Secondly, we must put our focus on others. And I love what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 12 here. He uses one of our natural desires and he kind of uses it against us. At the end of verse 10, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. He tells us to outdo one another because he knows that we, by nature, are competitive people. I can think back to many times in my life, if I'm just doing a mundane activity and then it turns into a competition, how much more motivated I am to go do that thing. My parents actually used this against us when they were trying to teach us how to ride bikes. That morning, they woke up and they, they were like, this is the day. Our kids are going to learn how to ride bikes. And so my dad took us outside and was running us up and down the driveway, running us up, or up and down the street. He was running next to us and trying to balance us and trying to push us and trying to help us stay up on two wheels, but he just couldn't do it. So he walked up to the, the porch. He was kind of downtrodden and he was, he was despairing of the situation because he didn't know how to teach us to ride our bikes. And my mom, who was sitting on the porch watching this whole adventure go down, she said, watch this. So she walked down into the driveway where the three of us were trying to ride our bikes. And she said, the first person who learns how to ride their bike today gets $10. <laughs> and so we started, we started balancing and they were both sitting on the porch watching us, but we were balancing and trying to figure out how to ride our bike because we wanted that $10. $10 doesn't seem like much to us today, but when you're a kid who has 50 cents and a, a bag of gum to your name, like $10 is everything. <laughs> and so within one hour, my sister and I had both taught ourselves how to ride bikes and I was $10 richer. So that was, a, that was a great example of how my parents were able to do the same thing that, that, God, or that uh, the Apostle Paul does in this passage. They, they knew that we were competitive and that if anything's a competition, it's going to help us. But the Apostle Paul, he turns it on its head. He uses this motivation against us, right? He says, outdo one another, but not in anything that focuses on you. Instead, he calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. Like he takes that competitive, selfish motivation that's focused on ourselves and focuses it on others, Think about that. Uh, that's actually a challenge that I have for you this morning and for myself. Today, I want you to go home and, and those people in your house, I want you to make it your mission to honor them more than they honor you. And I know that we have, we have husbands and wives, we have brothers and sisters, we have parents and children in the, the, in the um, congregation today. I want you guys to compete against each other. See who can honor the other person more. Do not go to sleep tonight having let the other person honor you more than you have honored them. That's, that's my challenge to you. It's actually God's challenge to you uh, from his word. Now, very quickly, we have our last two. The third one, we must serve the Lord together. He gives us a very clear direction on how, when we love one another, what direction should we be pushing each other in? And that's 
the direction to serve the Lord. This is something that a church community does together. Whenever, whenever we get together and we're serving those around us, we always want to serve the Lord in that because Jesus told his disciples that when they loved the least among them, when they loved the hungry and the homeless, they were actually showing their love to Christ. And so when we love those around us, we are able to serve the Lord together, and that ought to be the direction we're pushing each other in. And then finally, we must stand together through the ups and downs. We must stand together through the ups and downs because love is not something that is conditional. It's not something that only happens when everything is going good. No, love is something that should happen in every moment, especially when those around us are facing hard situations. When those around us are downtrodden and and despair, we should be the first ones to love them. And remember, back to the last point, we should be serving the Lord, pointing their eyes upward as we do it. It reminds me of a sign my mom has had in her bathroom for many years, but every day when I read it, it's such an encouragement to me. It says, in the happy moments, praise God. In the difficult moments, seek God. In the quiet moments, trust God. And in every moment, thank God. So regardless of what situation you're going through, regardless of what situation those around you are going through, you should be pointing their eyes to God. Because you're trusting that when you're going through those moments, they're going to be doing the same thing for you. So as we close, I'd like for us to think about what we learned in this passage. Back to the main point that the Apostle Paul had for us in this text. Because of Christ's love for us, we owe love to one another. So let's go out today being a people who are loving one another well through the ups and downs, pointing their eyes to the Lord, who are focusing on those around us and who are hating evil and loving good. Because this is what Jesus told us. He told us that the people around us are going to know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. So I'm going to invite uh, Rachel back up and I'm going to pray for us as we finish today. So would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We need you to help us with this mission. Lord, we are not able to love perfectly by ourselves. Lord, we're hardly even able to love apart from the love that you've given us. It's through you that we know what love is. Lord, we come before you. We trust you. We thank you. We ask that you would go before us and strengthen us to love as we live today, as we live this week, this new year, and as we live the rest of our lives. God, we need you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.